This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111, powered by the Wharton School. I'm sure. I'm Cheryl Coleman. And I'm Nick Ashburn. <laughs> and why do you have a British accent going there? Because I'm really excited about the new Sirius <laughs> XM Channel 18, the British invasion of the Beatles. Um, he, well, he's serious. He isn't just joking. The Sirius XM is starting a channel on the Beatles, on, on a Sirius XM channel I really 18. hope our colleague Tyler doesn't listen to that because he's an, <laughs> he's an actor and a... Uh, uh, an accent expert, so he'll just <laughs> laugh at going, me. I, I gave you the credit saying it was British. It was a little, you know. It's a little Josh McCann, <laughs> it's a little Australian. Josh I McCann, know. Australian, exactly. Yeah. Well, we're here for our last segment today. We've had great discussions about gender lens investing with Deanna Van Mastek, who is um, a co-founder and CEO of Equileap. We were talking with a social risk with Brian Bloom, who's the CFO of Anoto Global. Just had a fascinating discussion with Andre Cherney, CEO of Aspiration, about their their banking and investment products. It's pay what you will, basically, about that. And we're going to close now with Benjamin Blumenthal, who's the co-founder and CEO of Sun to Water. Benjamin, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. So... um, we we love the name of your company. It's sort of very informative. You help uh, you help create water out of thin out air. of thin air using sunlight. We're not That's joking, right. folks. This is serious. So so Benjamin, tell us how this works. Okay. Without uh, getting too a, scientificy. Right. So so essentially, it's a very basic three step process. We have the ability to pull air, the ambient air from outside, and pull it into our machine. And we have an absorbing element inside of the machine that, uh, that uh, absorbs the water molecules and um, uh, pushes the rest of the air out to the, uh, the atmosphere. And then that water that's inside of the, our unit, we apply heat, it vaporizes, and then we distill that water, and you end up with pure, uh, pure distilled water, which you then remineralize, and it's ready for, for drinking. So it's a three-step process. You get the water out of the air into the machine and then out of the machine into a bucket <laughs> or a tank, and then you're ready for drinking. It's, it's, uh, it's actually uh, quite a remarkable technology, you see. And so for our listeners, in, in many ways, this is what happens with a dehumidifier, but on a far more sophisticated approach, right? Well, so, so yes and no. It's actually a simpler approach than a dehumidifier. A dehumidifier uses Freon or some sort of coolant that you push through a coil that gets very cold and that interacts with the outside air. The problem with that technology has always been that it uses a huge amount of energy because you have to use a lot of energy to move a small fluid, right? Push a fluid. So we we push air instead of fluid. So we use 70% less power. And as a result, the water is four to five times less expensive. And now new economic business cases exist. It's cheaper to use our unit than it is to truck water in, for example. And so the entire market can now open where previously that hasn't happened. And interestingly, the technology that has previously been out there can't work in deserts, can't work in the Sahara Desert or Central Africa, and we can. So all of a sudden, we can now bring water to the people who really desperately need it. And so, Benjamin, help me understand this. So I I think I have a good sense of the problem, but help our listeners understand. So on one hand, you know, you've got I mean, maybe you live in a desert or you're in California and the water scarcity issues. 
Mm-hmm. You also have, you know, water, clean drinking water issues, right? Yeah. Contamination yeah. issues. So having this sort of technology sounds sounds great. Um, so what are the problems that you're trying to solve with this technology? Well, you've actually named them both. So it's water okay. scarcity and water contamination. That's exactly correct. Um, in those places that, you know, everybody, there's a reason why the government doesn't refrigerate everybody's, everybody's food. It would be too difficult to do. Everyone needs their own refrigerator. It has to be a decentralized solution, right? There's a reason why there isn't a single community that washes clothes for everybody. Every washing, everyone washes their own with their own washing machine. So we think that now the time has come, given the accumulation of contaminants in the water system and given the unreliability of how much water supply there is and the growth in population and the growth in need for water for agriculture, that a time has come for everyone to start making their own clean water using the air and the sun over their roofs. This was Tesla's model as well for electricity with the launch yeah. of their new power wall, yeah. right? Make your own power and stop relying on the central municipal government to supply that for you. We have the same model, getting homes and businesses off of the water grid instead of getting them off the power grid. So, okay, so here's this. This is a, a, a really fascinating uh, angle on this. So I live in Philadelphia. We have a flat roof. I've got a lot of neighbors who actually have started putting in solar. It's expensive, but they're doing it, and now they actually sort of feed things back to the power company. So mm-hmm. with your product, it's it's more of a home use than in a in a community by a, a large water facility of some sort. So you could go into Flint, Michigan, instead of having everybody getting um, bottled water while they're trying to figure out what to do with their water. I would buy one of these things, and I would supply my household with, with clean water? That's exactly correct. And as a matter of fact, it's, there is obviously a residential play for this, Texas, California, Flint, Michigan, you said it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also commercial plays for it. There are beverage companies like Pepsi and Coca-Cola or others who want to put bottling facilities in places where the local municipality says, guys, you drink 400,000 gallons of water a day. We don't have the resources. You can't come here. Mm-hmm. Now they can they can create their own bottling facility anywhere they want to and not only not drain the local resources, but actually resupply the local resources by making more water than needed. We've also had conversations with a lot of people in the oil and gas industry. They have man camps out in the middle of no place. They have to truck water out to feed those people. Or when you build a new city, right, you mm-hmm. want to construct a new city anywhere. We're talking just the United States, but internationally, especially in the Middle East. You can't build a city if you can't get some water. So the idea of an independent and secure supply of water for uh, a business or even for an embassy. You know, we have embassies around the world that are on foreign soil. Some of those countries are friendly and some of them aren't. Right. So we want to be sure that everybody has their own independent and secure supply of water. So, sorry, I mean, I think Cheryl and I are both wrapping our brains around less than just the technology itself, which is mind-blowing, right. but also the implications right, of, right. of this. Um, yeah. And and obviously, I think it's tremendous. And I'm, gosh, I don't have a well thought out question. But um, also, I'm thinking of the video on your website with Kathy Ireland that I was like, wow, I didn't know she was doing business interviews. But um, if I'm if I have this technology and I'm getting off the water grid, are the you know and and. Is it about getting people off the water grid, or is it? Are there actually larger scale industrial implications for this too, where it's not just a bottling facility, but you know, maybe municipalities move this direction over time too? Sure, of course. So there's sort of a compound question in there, but 
The answer is there are a lot of different applications for this technology. There's the residential market we talked about, the commercial market, and the industrial market for oil and gas. From the municipal sector, um, I'm not sure how it is in California. Up here in Texas, they've got large water towers that usually have the name of the city printed on the side of them. Those water towers, what the city does is they use their own power to push their own water and push it up into those towers to create the pressure for the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We can now put our units, the larger container units, not the small ones that go on the houses that are about the size of an air conditioning unit, but the big ones that are like shipping container sizes, we put them up on top and now we can actually make the water at altitude. We create the smart tower, the smart water tower for the future. And so, municipalities to do this. So, so the water is automatically, it's, it's created by your product, it's in the tower, and it exactly. just has to come yeah. down. Are, are, exactly. you, are you getting interest for, in your product from people who are in sort of the smart cities movement, the, mm-hmm. the technology-enabled yeah. city um, infrastructure movement? Yes. Uh, we're, getting, we're getting interest uh, from them. We're getting interest from the green architect community. Yeah. We even uh, started uh, talking with the folks who do lead certification to potentially add a next level of lead certification on buildings that are able to make their own, uh, make their own water as a part of a new standard coming in the future. But I think that the most meaningful, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm very fortunate because we have a product that not only has the ability to, to, to provide you know, water to people who really need it and have it make a good business out of that, but we also have that humanitarian aspect. Right? So the World Health, Organization, World Health Organization says that the number seven cause of death on the planet is dehydration or water-related illnesses. Yep. And you've got to figure that that's relatively you know, shocking or astonishing because everyone who's dying from dehydration is literally sitting underneath an ocean of 12.9 trillion tons of fresh water right above their head. It's, 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 it's cruelly ironic that you have these kids who are getting sick and dying when at the same time they're sitting under the well that could feed them. And we now have built the technology that can cost-effectively get the water, like an hourglass, out of the atmosphere above them into a central point and then create abundant volumes of drinking water at their feet. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111. We are talking with Benjamin Blumenthal, co-founder and CEO of Sunda Water, about individualizing water, you know, the water delivery systems. And, and um, Benjamin, I'm thinking through how, you know, on this show, we have a variety of entrepreneurs on here that, you know, their product has a an social or environmental impact. Like, that's what we're about. Right. Their motivations for doing their, you know, creating their businesses are different. We've talked about, you know, solving a real problem. And I think that's my personal philosophy is less sort of a, I mean, I'm just saying that like a holier than thou, like I have a social impact. This is why I have a business, but that these really complex social and environmental issues are ripe for innovation. And that's sort of what seems like you guys are taking. But you just talked about the humanitarian side of this. So, you know, what drives you every day in creating this business? I think the idea that we measure our return on investment since the foundation of the company. We measure the return of investment, uh, the return on investment in terms of both dollars and cents, and in quality of life improved and lives saved. There's mm. a secondary metric that we add to know how we're doing as a company. And when you start a company and you set those guidelines in place, and say, we're going to provide a handsome financial return, but we're also going to provide a return on this entirely separate metric of true social impact. Um, 
you attract the right kind of people. You attract the people who are like-minded. Um, you attract the team of people who have come out of the woodwork to just lend their support because they want to. Yeah. And, and they've made enough money in their lives and want to support, things like that. And Benjamin, you've, you've come from the investment side, too, before um, Sun to Water. You know, was this sort of a mind shift for you or, you know, is this just something that you sort of naturally got into? Yeah, I was um, I was one of the first investment bankers on uh, vitamin water and smart water. Oh. So that's part of the reason why uh, that was back in 2000. And so excuse the pun, I kind of got my feet wet in the world of water. <laughs> back, right? Yeah, um, we uh, that was a very, very strong uh, exit. The company was sold for Coca-Cola seven years after we were engaged with it for four point one billion dollars. And it's a healthy and, uh, exit. It biggest, yeah, it was a healthy exit. Exactly. So so with that, you know, I understood several things. I understood, number one, with the world's population increasing steadily and 70% of all the water that we have going to agriculture, um, we we simply have a sharp increase in demand, a steady increase in demand, and with the global temperatures rising, which causes increased evaporation, and when, of course, it rains, most of the water goes into the ocean. So you have an actual decrease in supply of available fresh water. So if you have a steady increase in demand and a steady decrease in supply, you have that perfect storm. And you need to have a proper, well-managed, well-financed company with a great technology that's affordable for people to be able to address that problem in a meaningful way. And that was the vision already years before. And and when you're thinking about – so you've got different um, consumer demographics around this. Some of this is going to be people like me going, cool. I have my my own water <laughs> source on my right. roof. Um, you're talking about you know hitting developing nations, and you're also talking about the kind of places where there's a, a scarcity of water and it's causing dehydration, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I understand the consumer model because this is something that you know people are paying for solar. They're starting to do this. I haven't asked what the cost is, but you know you can understand that approach. How are you going to get it to to help the other people and hit that other metric you have? Um, you would on the humanitarian side. Yeah, on the humanitarian side. Well, again, we don't intend on creating a, a, a nonprofit organization that has boots on the ground to deliver and distribute. Mm-hmm. Very much like solar panels. So if you buy one solar panel, you're not going to get your house entirely off the water grid. But if you put an array of solar uh, off the power grid, if you get an array of solar panels, you can take your house off of a power grid. So the people who manufacture solar panels, they're actually producing a component of a solution. We would do. We would supply our component, this water engine, this mm-hmm. water generator, right? Just like a backup power generator. This is a water generator, and these water generators we would supply to people like Save the Children or Oxfam or UNICEF or you know United Nations, European Union, um, you know those American Red Cross, right, and many others, right, who have boots on the ground already in place. They have limited water solutions. They got some good solutions out there. If, if there's a well that's contaminated, they got some filters to clean up that water. But they don't really have a solution for if the village that they're going to has no, no water. Yeah. And now you've got little girls walking 20 miles to go get water and encountering all sorts of problems along the way. You, you, they just don't have that solution yet. And we do. So as our technology advances and as we see commercial adoption from the residential and uh, commercial uh, markets here in the United States and internationally, government adoption from this to support the the, the 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 less affluent in certain countries in Latin America, Middle East, and Asia, because in fact Asia has a huge um, water contamination issue. So 
yeah, uh, will eventually and, 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 and expect to come through and build those partnerships with the nonprofit organizations to be able to supply those uh, water generators to people who need the water. Uh-huh. I can't get it otherwise. Benjamin, this is a little bit of a naive question, um, but you know, when I think about solar energy, one of the big issues around that to really get off the grid is is the storage component. And that, you know, that was sort of you talk about Elon Musk. That's sort of one of his, I think, the, the real secret behind what, what Tesla is doing. Yeah. But, you know, water does need storage, but we're not talking about a new technology battery thing. But are you guys providing just the sort of engine that, you know, the Where does the water condi- go? Yeah. Do I need a cistern to, to do this? Yeah. How is this sort of getting into my house? So we're, we're just beginning now our partnership discussions with a wonderful company. I'd rather not mention who they are, but they're probably the number one or two supplier of water, potable water cisterns in the world. Okay. And unlike a normal cistern, you would think of a water tank as something which is just sort of a metallic tank. This particular product has you know, a, a super black outer shell, a white inner shell, and the inside lining that inhibits bacteria from growing on the inside. It's specifically designed to hold potable water so that you don't end up having to have contaminants while the water is being stored. And this is, this is a, a, a giant leap forward in yep. the technology of how to store water long-term. You've asked a great question. Thank you. Benjamin, you were, you were talking about when you have a, a company that has this, this deep mission, you attract the people who want to be a part of it and work with you. So we're, we're thinking about graduation. We just graduated our, you know, our latest class. Class and, of 2017. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so we've got all of these millennials that, that we see who are impassioned about being involved with something that is meaningful in a cause. So how do you think the millennial market is, is influencing uh, the social impact movement? I think they're tremendous. You know, I've noticed that there are some companies out there who say that the millennials aren't really the most um, the most diligent of all the generations that have come before. I've heard that. But my experience has been very different for two reasons. Um, the first is that what I have found is that the millennial, uh, the, the, the millennial employee, when you provide them something that's got a social impact, you don't get a nine-to-five worker. You get someone who's like 11.30 at night to one one forty-five in the morning in their bed on their yeah. mobile telephone tweeting out to the world something that they're doing. They get passionate about it. And the second is they want to create a leadership position. They really want to create something and grow something in a very aggressive way. And if you harness that, that's wonderful. You know, I have a question for you, Cheryl. Like, tell me, you know, if I asked you who's the number one search engine on the Internet, what are you going to tell me? Google. Google. Okay, if I tell you what's the number one um, electric car company in the world? Tesla. Tesla. Okay. Who's the number one producer of fresh water? Nobody. <laughs> right. You don't know. I've been in the water business for 17 years. We're not entirely sure. Yeah. Mm. What I can tell you is the number one position is open. That throne remains un, uh, uh, uninhabited. Right? There's no one there in the number one position. And that's what we're working towards. And so when we tell our millennials... We're going to be what Apple became to communications mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what Tesla became to transportation. We are going to become that for the water space. They have a tendency to, to flock in droves and try to do everything that they can to help build that vision. Well, it's, it's interesting. And yeah. I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. But, you know, part of that might be because it's been a public utility. Well, and, and that's why you didn't so know it's there was a problem, right? However... You know, and, and some people could be like, well, but you're privatizing water. But yes and no, you're not privatizing the big water reserves. You're saying if you have this technology, you can have access to your own water. And, you know, you're mainly paying for the, the device, not a service every month. 
Right. I think. Yeah. I don't know what the model is here. That's right. Look, there are different people who buy this product for different reasons. There are those people out there who they buy it because they like this concept of being independent. Those are the same guys who buy solar panels. Yep. The guys out there who buy this because they want their grass green, there's a water restriction, and they can make their own water here. So, second reason. <laughs> yep. My, my mom might want to do that, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> there are people who buy it because they're a doomsday prepper. Here in Texas, that means you're buying uh, you know, ammunition and saving up on food. But if you're living in California where you have voluntarily lived in a place that has earthquakes and you have a family of three small kids, you want to get yourself a backup water source because yeah. when that earthquake comes, you're, the guy who has a water maker is king of his block. He can borrow water for everything else he needs. That's an interesting and worthwhile investment. So we're seeing motivations for this coming from different places. Well, and I think what's interesting is that, um, and, and Nick's point was around, it. you know, you think of this as a public utility, but basically what you're doing is demonstrating the opportunity for somebody who didn't realize that this would ever be necessary. And if you think about electric cars and and the internet search, that at some point that was things like, who would ever use who would ever use the the internet to search for things? I've got my telephone book, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I I am an older millennial, and I'm like, oh, you're right. We did do that. Like, I, <laughs> yes, people had those questions. Exactly. Why? What? What is it going to give me that I can't get from my good old telephone book? And right, and and there are folks. I mean, no product is everything to everybody, right? There are people who get all the water they could possibly want right out of their tap at a fraction of the cost because they feel comfortable drinking that. That's fine. And there are other folks who have no problem spending, you know, five or six or seven dollars a gallon for, 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 for bottled water because they want the smart water or the Evian or the, you know, uh, the higher end uh, bottles of water, in which case they're paying, you know, two orders of magnitude more than they need to. Although, Benjamin, I have to say that my my hometown of Emporia, Kansas, regular, regularly wins or ties or gets second place in the best-tasting drinking water in the world. So I don't have any I need for Evian. I thought New York. No, no, no. You Google it. Emporia, Kansas, drinking water. Trust me. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying, like, Evian and all that stuff, no way for me. <laughs> Good old Emporium bottled water. <laughs> great, great. So, Benjamin, we're approaching the end of our, our segment. So in, in like the 30 seconds we have left, what advice do you give for an entrepreneur who is um, not only having a, a product that they're developing, but really trying to create a market when people are so used to getting it in a different way? How do, how do you get that change in perception going? You know, we followed Elon Musk's model for launching a pre-sales campaign, allowing people to reserve the product to test the market. Um, for us, that was wildly successful. In 12 weeks, uh, we, were, we were expecting just a couple of hundred thousand dollars, and in, in the first 12 weeks of our campaign, we registered $12.1 million in demand, averaging more than a million dollars a week. Wow. So then we knew that, and that was just from California only on $300 a day of advertising with Google. <laughs> so we, we, we really didn't make a very strong push of it, and we got overwhelming response that if we were to build it, will people buy it, and will they pay the price that we're asking? The answer was a resounding yes. So now we're headed to market. And from my advice to other entrepreneurs would be follow that model. It's a really good one, right? Test your product in the market. Allow people to register their demand. If you're not manufacturing, that's okay. You can simply have them register their interest so that when you do manufacture, you get to call them back and say, hey, you told us before you were interested. Now we're in the process of manufacturing. When you're 90 days out, you can take the credit card and deliver the product. But that concept, 
is very, very powerful, and you should test before you advance. Yeah. Make sure that you've got your feature set correct, and you're going to build a product that's going to be in high demand. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, that's actually great advice. Terrific advice. You're right. If you can if you can get a sense of the demand, you can decide whether to move ahead or not. Right, and it would have been a very different thing if you had only had a you know a hundred thousand people. I think that's the difference between when entrepreneurs think, oh, I need to prototype, but also that human centered piece, like okay, not just how are people interacting with this, but what's the am I solving a problem that people really want to pay for? Right, right. Or is it just yeah? We see some crazy solutions. Yeah, what's left for us right now is, you know, to uh, to reach out and find distribution partners, both in the United States and internationally, and to close out our uh, final uh, stages of, uh, of of investment. Ooh, what re- um, re- round are you in right now? So we are uh, we're, we're in a Series A round, uh, but given the amount of interest that we've got from foreign governments as well as the uh, the book of business for uh, for the, the residential and commercial markets here in the United States. Um, we don't feel like we're going to need to raise a whole lot more. So we, we've got an open round right now. It should be closing before uh, the middle of the summer, so in the next 60, 90 days. Okay, great. And uh, so folks who are interested in investing in the company or partnering with us as distributors should, should visit us at Suntowater, you know, S-U-N-T-O-W-A-T-E-R, suntowater.com. Great. We've been, we've been talking to Benjamin Blumenthal, co-founder and CEO of Suntowater. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111. We'd like to thank... Our sound engineer, Danielle Bruno, associate producer, Dion Simpkins, producer, Matt Johnson, program director, Patty Hall. Talk to you later. Bye. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.